in a constantly changing world. Today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. So welcome to another episode of The Leadership Enigma. And boy, oh boy, am I excited today. Uh, Special guest, John Amici. Now, John Amici has got an amazing background, which I won't be able to do any justice to, but psychologist, former NBA player, New York Times bestselling author, currently the CEO of Amici Performance Systems and Everyday Jedi. John, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, Thank you. I am well, thank you. Doing very well. Now, John, that is a great background, and please give us a little bit of uh, insight into some of that, but particularly the everyday Jedi. We need to know what that's about. Um, I always tell people, if I'm introducing myself, doing a speech or anything else, workshop, it doesn't matter, any interaction, I tell people the most important thing you need to know about me is that I am a geek and a nerd, and those two things are not the same. And my my well a bit i suppose a bit of my geekdom and nerdom both leaks out in the fact that i'm a massive star wars fan always have been and from a very early age i was quite convinced that i was a jedi um and although i tend not to admit it publicly too much i probably still think i am (laughs) that was my next question i hope that that hasn't faded and you are still a jedi and our listeners won't have been able to see where we were chatting just before on video and you had little yoda right next to you and indeed the tardis now does the tardis is that really uh, an icon of geekness or is that super relevant in some other way Bit of both, bit of both, because that goes into all kinds of timey-wimey stuff. And so there's, there's time travel, there's alternate universes, you name it, in Doctor Who. Plus, uh, my, my first science fiction love was probably Asimov, but then followed closely by Doctor Who. Um, and Tom Baker was my doctor. In fact, I have his scarf uh, on a wall, one of his scarves up on a wall in my house as we speak. Brilliant. Well, welcome to the Leadership Enigma. And you have an incredible background, as some people may know you from your basketball days. John, just give a little bit of an overview of the current work that you're doing with leaders and organizations globally at the moment. So I suppose if we were to put it down to one pithy sentence, it would be that at APS, we try and partner with people to help solve some of the more intractable people problems. So uh, you know, that's that combination. Yes, it's HR, but it's also, it's also learning and development. It's also organizational des- design and development. Yeah. That mixture of things to create an environment where people can really thrive and really deliver. Because I do think that some, some old school thinkers still believe that you either have a workforce that is under the cosh, constantly being whipped, ground into small pieces in order for them to deliver for you, right. or you have a workplace a workforce that is thriving, but is not delivering. And, and I don't think it has to be an either or. Yeah. I mean, this has always been a very strong red thread for me. And our listeners won't, won't know that um, I interviewed you as part of my book, The Leader's Secret Code. And then you very kindly, we did an article together about the role of a role model. And I know that that human-centered approach has always been a huge focus for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I think it's the research-led approach. I think when you look at the evidence, this is what works. 
um, one of the things that I talk a lot about is the future of work. And people, yeah. people seem to think it's all about AI and technology. And, and my, t- my take on this is that the future is human. And it's, yeah. gonna, it, it's never going to change from that. Roles will change. Other things will change. But it's never going to move from that. So having an approach that isn't centered on the person, to me, is missing a trick especially as disruption is going to throw the best laid plans to the wind. And at that point, it is the connection with, it is the, the sense of community of people that will make the difference. And that is why we're so delighted that you've joined us on, on this episode. Uh, and actually, really, the title of this episode is The Genie's Out of the Bottle. And mm-hmm. it really is about leadership in a new world of work. And so I know you've written on that subject. And uh, at the moment, we are living through a global pandemic, but there may well be listeners who are listening to this particular episode many weeks or months after the event. But it's certainly something that we all went through individually, collectively, in a personal way and in a, in a, in a business way as well. So what's your take really on, on the genie is out of the bottle, but what does that mean? Yeah, we're using this phrase a lot with, with clients, the genie is out of the bottle. It, what it means is that there was an old world of work mm-hmm. and it was the world of work that was the status quo and we're quite used to it's a world of work that there are still people yearning to go directly back to with no changes and yeah. they are going to be deeply disappointed because that is not going to happen it's a world of work that people couldn't wait to get away from and some of the some of the things that are happening now perhaps too much for them at this point but things like flexible working and remote working yeah. things like the ability to change your schedule and 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 have a day that doesn't necessarily mirror a day at work. You know, you can have a workout in the middle of the day and start earlier or finish later. These types of flexibilities, they won't be exactly the same as they are now when we go back, but there will be a middle ground somewhere that's going to be very uncomfortable for both groups of people. Yes. But I think one of the things that's clear is that businesses in this time of crisis, many of the good ones, have made different promises right? The, the tone of voice of business has been different. We've, we've Give me some examples, seen, John. Give me. Yeah, yeah we've, we've finally seen organizations looking at their workforce like people. And so the, if you look at the, the mentions of the, the kind of authenticity of talk around mental health, yes. it, it is quantitatively higher than it ever has been. And, and it's an awareness that, that was always there. People were doing mental health first day, but now businesses are suddenly expecting their direct managers whether they be first time, first line managers or the most senior people yep. to do new things, to be doing podcasts, working about their experience, sharing their, their fears and their worries with the workforce. There's a transparency that's happening, an emotional and psychological transparency that's happening in lots of workforces that never happened before. And I think the danger is that a lot of people think this is temporary. This is crisis talk, crisis yep. communication, but people will expect this kind of, transparency, emotional, authentic connection when they come back. And, and well, they should. And what do you think's magnified it? Because we, we've all gone through so much during this time. And we, you know, we, we help individuals, we help organizations navigate great change anyway. But this is a, on a pretty spectacular level. Do you think there's a single thing or a collection of things that really magnified that focus and that feeling for people? In terms of the, the mental health aspect? Yeah, yeah, in terms of that human element. I think people suddenly realize that, uh, Adam, and maybe you, you don't agree with me here, but I, I think the mental health narrative has very much been, oh boy, 
our nearest competitor has got a yeah. gym in their place or they've got a gym pass or they've uh, got tick box or they've got a mindfulness room and and it's just been a arms race of kind of we have to have that too so that we don't lose people right i don't know if people have ever tied mental health to performance in the way that they are now they suddenly realize that in order for their people to perform a conversation about a care for the human being and the mental health of that human being must yeah. come first. And I think it's quite a big shift actually from a, a tick box compliance approach to I agree a, with you. this is how we drive performance. Now, John, I watched one of your videos on LinkedIn actually today. And, and I think you used the phrase, you can't pour from an empty cup. And that's relevant here, isn't it? It is so much. I mean, I, I, I wish that was my phrase. It's actually, I think, a Confucian. A it's your phrase for, the, phrase. for today. I used, I used it. I used it first. I claimed, well, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I was about 600 years too late. But I think it's brilliant. You can't pour from an empty cup is exactly right. And the problem we have is that we have too many workplaces that probably prior to this point operated on the basis that somehow their workers were magical, endless goblets. Yeah that could pour and pour and pour and we many people many managers were irritated if ever there was a a drought as as if it's natural for people to be able to give and give and give without ever getting anything back and mm -hmm. i think there's a new awareness now that recuperation needs to happen and recuperation doesn't just mean the ability to go to sleep at night though let's face it many workplaces compromise that with endless messages that go on till 10 o'clock at night or more yeah. and start again at five in the morning. So it's not just sleep. It's about, can you make sure that your work day gives opportunities, just momentary pauses throughout the day where people can refresh themselves and refill themselves so they can give again. Now, now John, you've experienced elite sports and I think you made a comparison, didn't you? That actually sports and sporting teams have understood this perhaps before business or organizations have understood this yeah i don't think sports is ahead of uh the the real world if you like in 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 many things but one of the ways that that sport is always understood and interestingly adam people have understood even work even people leaders in workplaces who don't operate on the same basis have always understood that on their favorite sports team yeah they shouldn't practice 10 hours a day that they'll need to take a rest, that they'd need to have a massage, that they'd need to do stretching and other things. That's just natural. They got that. So in sports, there's always been that sense of you work really hard when you're working and then you, you must recuperate and you must rest. And those two things aren't the same. But in the workplace, we've looked at it as you've got to be present in the workplace, present right. to you. You've got to be there. And if you're there until eight, you're a better worker than if you were there until seven. Yep. And then you go home and you're still kind of on the clock if I have a quick question, I can pop it to you at 10 o'clock at night and I can then judge you and your productivity if you don't answer straight away. It's right. just an absurd mentality, which I hope this crisis will help to alleviate us from. John, do you think there's, a, there's been a shift in focus that it's moving away from input and you talked about presenteeism and now it's about output, you know, taking into account people's personal circumstances at home of when they can and can't work and having to deal with small children during this lockdown. And actually it's about their output and their ability to operate on a human level to still deliver productivity. I think the problem, so the reason I hesitate is because I think there are some brilliant examples of that. People who have really, leaders and organizations, clients of ours, some of them, who've really embraced the idea right. that people are human. We've yep. realized, finally, hands up, we've realized work, but workers are human. 
And so uh, needing to do childcare, needing to change the schedule of their workday up so that they can do homeschooling is just part of the thing. Right. And then I get calls from people and messages online from people who say they got in trouble the other day because when they were on Zoom, they were not wearing a suit. Oh, really? Crazy And you stuff. just think... That'll make you weep, won't it? You know, we, we've talked to some people, or uh, we've been polling some of our, our clients and some other people out there, and yeah. we, we do think that there's a sense in some organizations that the economy is going to be so poor in the next 10, 12, 18 months yeah. that nobody has any choice but to remain employed if they can. And therefore, why should they really bother to make any substantive changes? And I think this is a symptom of that short-term thinking that we see so often in workplaces right. because they may, people may not have a choice now, but they will not forget what happened here. They will not oh, forget how I they agree. were treated and they will, when they have a choice, vote with their feet, I think. Well, I agree with you. And, you know, sometimes we, we say, don't we, it won't be your leaders won't be remembered for what they say or what they do, but they'll certainly be remembered for how they make people feel. And that's yeah. certainly the case. It's exactly right. And there's something I said to you, actually, I think for the book, when I said the, 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 or maybe was it, was it you told me, actually, I've forgotten now, I've integrated it so much. Um, the, the idea that, that um, leaders should remember that the, the children of their direct reports will know their name. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that was a mentor of mine, but uh, bless him whilst he was still alive, a Floridian trial lawyer, Professor Absolutely. Daniel Silums. That was the best advice I ever got. It's the children of right? your direct reports will know your name. It's and then he used to say to me, in what context is down to you? Yeah, and, th and that's the thing. When you think of this time, that is that is so crucial, especially because what most people are not considering here is that when when people begin to return to work in in a physical sense, whatever that looks like, and it, yeah. I, again, Who I know it will look not like it looks at the moment, or used to look. Um, every single person will be mourning. They will either be mourning the loss of a loved one or a respected friend or elder to the virus, yeah, or they'll be mourning not having to go, the, the fact that they, they've just not had to do their commute for six weeks or 10 weeks or six months. They'll be mourning the fact that they loved the new routine that they got themselves into. So everybody will be experiencing loss. And the first thing that managers who want to have productive workforces will do, that organizations will do, is address the morning first before set telling them, right, here's our strategic plan and this is what we, yeah. that'll have to come first. And you've always been, as I say, a great fan of that human-centered approach. I love that quote. Now, you right, remember, I love it. We're remembering each other's quotes when we did the interview for the book. And I think you told me about a real inspiration for you, and that was your mum. And, and do you remember saying this? The most unlikely of people in the yes. most improbable of circumstances can go on to become extraordinary. And I've always carried that quote. It, it is indeed one of my favorites. But tell me a little bit about that, because that's a bit of an inspiration for you, isn't it? And, and your mum behind that story. It is. It is. I, I am. I am not a fan of the kind of uh, the secret. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. That approach where if, if you think it, it'll happen. I think right. everything is a lot more complex than that, and it misses out the entire kind of work ethic and planning element of success. But my mother always said that exact phrase: "The most unlikely of people, I love it. the most improbable of circumstances, can become extraordinary." 
And, and then the, the caveat to that is kind of, it depends on how hard you're willing to work and how much you're willing to plan right. and how much of a delay of gratification you're willing to entertain. But if you will do those things, then odd, weird kids from Stockport like me can end up in the MBA and then they can end up with a PhD and then they can end up being a psychologist. It's all of this can happen. And the thing I want to emphasize is the reason that's important is because many people who who listen to this, they'll have been, they'll, they'll been sold a bill of lies, right? The idea that somehow people like you and like me are somehow genetically extraordinary, that, that we're, we're somehow so gifted naturally that that success would come whether we'd be planted planted on rocks or planted in fertile soil and and that's not the approach that i have or that my mother had which was the idea that almost you can't say almost everybody but many many people have within themselves the base elements required They, they just don't always have the advice to construct them in the right order and John, there was something else that resonated with me. You remember from our original interview where actually you said that leadership is energy expensive, that actually to be a good, to be a decent leader, it's going to take some real graft and hard work. Yep, that's absolutely right. I think it's the number one reason why we have poor leadership. Right. It isn't anything to do with skills. It isn't anything to do with some, some, some higher order criteria or personal traits that are rare. Yeah. It's to do with the fact that fundamentally, Leadership is a promise of a kind of experience of the people around you. It's something that they can count on. And then the leader's job is to move around like a custodian of that culture to make sure the experience that, pro- that is promised is the, the experience that's delivered. And it's really energy expensive. See, already I think there's, there's huge amounts of value just in this episode, but I'm biased, so I would say that. But when I bring us back to, and that was my fault for taking us off on a tangent, but a very important one, when we talk about the genie being out of the bottle now, in, in relation to leaders and organizations preparing for the future of work, and is a, it is a question I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of clients and a lot of organizations is we don't quite know what the new normal or business as usual will look like. So what are you, some of your thoughts or suggestions for how people should get ready to navigate the future of work? I don't think there's a simple block answer to that. I think, no, what, I, bet. <laughs> I think what has to happen is we need to... So I've spent the last probably three years talking to economists and sociologists, uh, people in government. I, I've spoken to HRDs, um, HR leaders and CEOs of businesses now yeah. across America, uh, Eastern and Western Europe asking them what changes they're already making and any that they might be anticipating. And some of them don't think anything will change. And, but there's a, almost everybody thinks something's going to shift. Yeah. And when you, when we've assembled this picture, you suddenly get this, right? The idea that one of the things that's shifting is employee expectation. The, the expectations of what good work is has now expanded and will continue to expand beyond a, a, a living wage. Right. It's going to move to, flexibility of schedules, remote working, purposeful work, which is really important. It's going to be, I mean, people variously don't like work-life balance as a phrase, but the idea that your, your work does not consume you, but work allows you to recuperate and have other things that bring you joy as well as it. Uh, there's going to be a shift for sure, not just from employees, but from, from, from organizations and from stakeholders and shareholders, 
to focus on outcomes rather than presenteeism, right? Not focusing on, on these metrics that measure industry, but rather, are you hitting targets as you should? There's going to be a really interesting shift in terms of these now integrated cross-generational workplaces because right. we are getting to the point where some of the younger generations are going to be leading organizations yes, that true. are populated not just by the younger generation, but also by much older generations who are having to work much longer and want to work much longer. Do you think you we see this seismic shift? I could go on for days on this. Sorry. No, and well, I think we're going to get you back on another episode as well, because what I would love to do, if, if you're keen, is, is when we settle into whatever the new normal looks like, I'd love to get you back on and, and to get some of your reflections again, because yep. we'll know a little more. But do you think we're, we, we're in for a seismic and almost irrevocable change based on what we're going through right now? Uh, yes. Yeah, I do. It, it's certainly irrevocable. This is the way I think about it. If we were on camera, I'd be able to show you with my hands. But fundamentally, if you think of a graph, and everybody's familiar with it now because they're looking at the, uh, if, certainly if they're listening to this during the crisis, the, the daily briefings that have that graph with the X and the Y yes. uh, on it. If you, if you think at zero, zero on that X and Y graph, if you think at that point, that, let's consider that to be where we were pre-COVID. The way work happened pre-COVID is that okay. zero, zero point. And if you think of the future of work, this, this place that I'm thinking of that is, mm -hmm. you know, probably 10 to 15 years down the line, but not much further than that. Okay. And if you think of that as 100 and 100, so it's, it's gone from, from uh, bottom left to top right, okay? okay. Yep. What's happened with COVID is it hasn't changed anything, but there's a line, and it may not be a straight line, but it's a pretty straight line between zero, zero and 100, 100. And all COVID did was shoot us along that line. Okay. It accelerated where we were. There were businesses that were still pen and paper operations with face-to-face, -face, old school, everybody in the office, all times. And in the course of six or seven days, they went completely to remote working. Enforced digital transformation. I think exactly. That, don't so that's what COVID did. It, it right. hasn't changed the future. It's accelerated our progress. And when you do that, it cannot go back. You, you might think there'll be slippage and there will be very, very dumb workplaces that insist that everybody goes back. But the ways that things have changed are, are more profound than you'd imagine. There are a bunch of people discovering that you don't need to wear a tie to be credible. For the first <laughs> Even on time a Zoom call. Life. Yeah. You know, craziness. And so when you go back to your workplace and suddenly they start enforcing a ridiculous um, uh, uh, dress code that neither the clients nor you are interested in anymore, you, it won't be able to happen. It's definitely going to be easy uh, or not easy. Definitely going to be interesting to to see the shift. Uh, and I think, you know, I'd love that phrase as well, that there was um, it's not the big that will eat the small. It's actually the fast that will eat the slow. And, and yep. you've just alluded to that, that you know, almost we've been catapulted forward by COVID-19. When you, when, you when you think of most of the, the, the seismic shifts, I mean, this is evolution in action, right? So mm -hmm. when, the, uh, when, when the meteor hit, uh, actually technically a meteorite, when the meteorite hit Earth and blanked out the skies and the dinosaurs died off, they, you know, that... that just accelerated something that was going to happen anyway because and it wasn't because shrews or those those early mammals were so uh, so clever or so cute it was because they were swift to adapt and the dinosaurs were slow to adapt 
anything that's slow to adapt is going to find themselves compromised. John, it has been a pleasure, as it always is. Um, I hope that you'll come back and join me again in sure. a few months' time where maybe we're dipping a toe in the new normal. And just to finish off, I've got three silly questions for you. So you ready for these? I'm ready. So, one, what's your hobby? What's your favorite hobby? Mm, listening to music, to be honest. Okay, what kind? Oh, it runs the panoply. Uh, Donny Hathaway, if I was going to go on Stars in Your Eyes, you know that, that, that show? <laughs> I do, yeah, yeah. It would be a song for you by Donny Hathaway that I sang. But pretty much anything from, from cheesy pop in the 80s all the way through to... Uh, classical music i love it okay so if you what's your favorite word now that's a tricky one isn't it syllogism syllogism now i i can't profess to know what that means so help me uh, a syllogy uh, a syllogy I'll is put you on the spot now right no no yeah i mean it, it, it's a, it's a kind of logical it's see i'm, I'm going to use more big words to describe a syllogy so um all dogs are mammals therefore all mammals are dogs is, is a, is a form of syllogistic logic. Gotcha. Okay. And my last one is this, and this is a good one. What would be your one piece of advice to a 21 year old you? Eat less cake. <laughs> yeah. As you say, it was, it was a lad from Stockport who made his way to the MBA. So all things are possible. Indeed. Thank you, John. It's been absolutely brilliant. Join us again next week for more essential insights on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.